Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, um, you can officially put a, uh, close the book on college basketball. Uh, both the men's and women's tournaments uh, wound up uh, this past weekend. Um, we've got the Hockey Frozen Four coming up. Uh, in th- that's what next week or the week this weekend or next weekend? This week, this this weekend, this weekend. We got I, this weekend. I, Sam, I I'd like to quibble with you right off the bat. The college basketball season does not officially come to the end until John Rothstein hosts his Western <laughs> Happy Hour. Then, uh, then it will be finished. Fair enough. Yeah. No. And well, and- well, well, well. Maybe with that last uh, tidbit being the exception, for the rest of it, you can just say chalk, chalky, chalk, chalk, chalk. Hockey included. It's been a chalk festival these last few weeks, uh, which is a little bit of a bummer. But say la vie. Is, is that a rock chalk Jayhawk? No, reference? no, that's chalk, chalk, <laughs> like like effing one seeds everywhere. Sure. Um, and and North and North Carolina, which hardly counts as anything else. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I know. I mean, was was St. Peter's and UMass Lowell going all the way in their respective tournaments? Too much to ask. Come on, we're come on, we're long since defeated Northeastern Mill Towns. Couldn't they just have their moment all the way through? That's all I ask. Uh, quick, quick congratulations to uh, Nathan Orr, who won the Westlaw Pirates Men's Tournament Challenge, and uh, S Magnum 26, who won the Women's Tournament Challenge. Uh, congratulations to to both of you, uh, both of them. Um, you know, South Carolina knocking off UConn for the championship there, and then uh, Kansas over North Carolina, um, which, as we're recording this, you know, we watched last night. But that's all we're that's not what we're here to talk about. I just briefly, you're absolutely right. Before we move on, I briefly like to pat myself on the back because entering the final four of both tournaments, um, because I had Jordan Hamilton's Stanford Cardinal going all the way to the championship game and they made the final four, I think I actually picked all four of the final four teams correct. And because of that, I was in like the 95th percentile at the start of the final four. I bring that up only because the percentage differential between my woman's bracket and my men's bracket was absolutely spectacular <laughs> i think i was i think i was entered the final four of the men's bracket in the 2.4 percentile nationally um it's difficult to try to do worse than i managed to do in the men's bracket so something like a 93 well, percent differential i i believe you finished off in the 1.4th percentile there you go again I mean, if you're trying to pick everything wrong, I challenge you to do worse than I did in the men's bracket. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) But sadly, when Jordan Hamilton, you know, when the Cardinal bowed out, that was the end of my PPR. So I quickly tailed off. Um, So yeah, congratulations. Still 67.1 percentile for you in the, in the women's tournament challenge. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. Hey, again, it's better than 1.3%. So <laughs> um, I'm just saying, everyone, you know, keep keep playing, uh, play play next year because you're you're definitely going to beat me. I guarantee that. So let's talk some softball. Um, yes, because this team, oh my god, is unbelievable. I had the uh, pleasure of going to uh, 
part of the first game on Sunday uh, against Michigan. And I, I brought my daughter with me and, you know, we went up and, you know, didn't we didn't stay too long because she's five and, you know, has the attention span of a five-year-old. But we were able to... <laughs> Um, we were able to see, you know, a couple big home runs. Um, sadly, we left right before uh, the Cats came back and, and took the lead. But uh, still, just so much fun to be there. And just the atmosphere at Drysdale Field was incredible. Standing room only. The place was packed. And it was awesome. Yeah, we should start there because it's just so exciting. And we were, we're harping on this uh, over the last couple podcasts. Like, get yourself to Drysdale Field. This is going to be a big deal this weekend. Tilt against Michigan is, I mean, like, it's not, the Big Ten is not over by any stretch, but, like, this has firmly established the pecking order for the Big Ten, um, for the Big Ten conference finish uh, with Northwestern sitting on top. And, uh, yeah, the fans came out. Like, I don't know if it helped that um, Saturday's game got delayed, rained out, pushed, to Sunday, and so it was effectively a doubleheader on Sunday, but um, just like a spectacular atmosphere and uh, a heck of a a heck of a weekend for this team. Yeah, there. It's it's funny, and you know we can kind of go through it, but I think b- since the last time we potted, because we took that extra week off. I mean, Northwestern basically just absolutely lit the oven mitt on fire uh, three three wins against michigan state um that series ended with michigan state getting run ruled nine to one then two against michigan and the interesting thing i mean for me again soccer guy that i am there's almost that juxtaposition but with the that michigan series which we've had circled forever right and the final three usmnt World Cup qualifiers, right? Where, yes, in both series, it ended with a loss, but the second game, I mean, well, in both cases, the second game effectively clinched what we were going for, right? Which, of course, for the men was a World Cup berth, but here was a series win over Michigan, right? Because that effectively is like, look, we took two of three, we're the top dog, right? Um, And that's what they did. So, I mean, the fact that they lost the second end of that doubleheader, again, it was a little bit deflating, but I guess it's only funny because technically, I mean, not technically, Northwestern's as of right now on a two-game losing streak, but that's kind of a misnomer. Um, the That Michigan game, again, by that point, they were playing for with house money for gravy. They'd won the series, right? Um, well, well, we should we 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 should go blow by yes. blow here because so, yeah, uh, fr- absolutely. Friday the first game was epic. Yeah. The the Friday game was epic in that um, it went it went into deep into extras. Uh, I think I think the Cats had scoring opportunities in the sixth and the seventh to win it in regulation. They weren't able to get it done in either case. Um, you had. Uh, you know, Daniel Williams going a full nine innings, complete game, 16 strikeouts, uh, getting the win. And then, uh, the, the, you know, to end the game, the cats get a couple, couple runners on base. They walk racial Lewis to load the bases, right? I have this correct. And then Jordan Rudd hits, um, essentially like an, an infield blooper, um, a little duck snort, if you will. And Michigan can't handle it. She beats out the throw, and the Cats score the walk-off run to, to win 4-3. An incredible opening to the series. 
game two, Lauren Boyd is pitching out of her mind. Um, has got, what, did they get through four innings? They got, um, it, they restarted it in the third. So they yeah, got so through they, two innings. I think they restarted it in uh, the top of the third inning. Two and change. So yeah, so Boyd pitches two uh, shutout innings on Saturday. The game gets delayed, pushed to Sunday. Cats come back out, um, find themselves down 4-1 in that game. Uh, yeah, um, you know they, they went up one nothing uh, with the solo home run in the third, and then gave up four to Michigan in the top of the fourth. Uh, got one back in the bottom of the fourth, and then uh, the four runs in the sixth inning to take the lead. Yeah, I just like and uh, like Daniel Williams comes in for the save. Um, boy, we boy, boy ended up pitching six. Six innings in that game. You know, she came in and started started again on the on the restart uh, the second day. Um, the, but but the um, the big hit, John. If you want, if you would like to talk, to I, I was going to say the one that's currently circling the orbit of the Earth right now. <laughs> oh Lord, it has not it, it has not come down yet. Yeah, uh, Rachel Lewis hit a, a bomb. Um, that I mean, she's she. It's crazy to think, I mean, just to be at that field and be like, what must it take to put a ball on the roof of Welsh Ryan from home plate? And the fact that she's done it three times. And it's, yeah, I mean, she, and of course it was in an absolutely huge situation. I think it was a part of a stretch of some, right? Like some ludicrous stretch was like four, five, six games in a row. She had a home run. Um, she's on... An absolute tear, um, and I think it's it's great to talk about this because as the season's gone on, of course, you've all been following it. You know, we've been kind of giving the blow by blow, week by week, that this is a true dream season, one of the great Northwestern seasons where all these players are distinguishing themselves. The highlights, Lord have mercy, when they cut the one shining moment package for this season at the end of the year, I don't even know. Um Sam, we were joking today during the Notre Dame game. Skylar Schellmeyer made a catch in the game where it, it was an absolutely unreal catch. And that'll just be like one more thing that they tack into this yeah. unbelievable highlight package. A, a, but, a bobbling catch. You know, she you know hit it, knocked it up, and you know came back down with it. Beautiful catch. Unbelievable. And kind of part of this larger narrative, right, that every single player on this team is absolutely showing out. And I think... Because of that, which is absolutely true, in our kind of coverage of this team, we vacillated, I would say, a little bit between spreading credit around all of the hitters and then giving a ton of credit to Danielle Williams. And all that is totally warranted. But now it's time to talk Rachel Lewis for a little bit. Um, This is one of the greatest hitters Northwestern's ever had. One of the greatest athletes, not just Northwestern softball, but Northwestern University has ever seen. And she is in the midst of an assault on the record books right now that um, just the the spread of the records that she's currently assaulting right now gives a, you know, a credit to just how unbelievable a player she is. Um, Obviously, the big one is the home run record. And as things currently stand, she has 54 home runs. That's fourth all time at Northwestern. The record is 57. 
So she'll hit one more. She'll be in a three-way tie for second place. She's four runs away from being the leader. I don't have the schedule in front of me. I'm I'm scrolling. I'm not going to give you the exact count. There's way more than four games left in the season, though. Um, way. So way I mean, more. it's 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 pretty likely, I would say. For so they've got three games coming up against Ohio State, then uh, two against the Illini, and then a three-game series against Purdue. Uh, Easter weekend, I the I I would say it is pretty likely that she that she could break that record the weekend against Purdue. I mean, yeah, right. And it's like again, we're not trying to jinx it here, but the performance she's been having, it's not so much really a question of breaking the record as like putting her stamp on it. And and and, and, and post Purdue, there's three more Big Ten like three game Big Ten series. Uh, two non-con games, and then the whole postseason to go. So, like, Ra- Rachel Lewis is going to be your all-time Northwestern home run leader. Right, and it's it'd be one thing if the wind was carrying these things out, but it's not. They're they're leaving on rocket boosters. So the way she's she's hitting right now is is insane. But it's not just that. And and Sam, you pointed this out, right? I mean, because we were talking about this beforehand that. She's also working her way up the stolen base record also. Um, yeah. I, I think, mean, what did you She's, uh, yeah. you know, went into the season with 78. She's got uh, 13, I believe. I just, I just had it up here. Yeah, 13 stolen bases already. So that puts her at uh, 91. Fifth place is 94. So it is, you know, and then fourth place is 112. Unless something crazy happens, she's not going to be, you know, close to Emily Allard's uh, 154, which is the current record. But nope. <laughs> but uh, oh she God. she easily should be in the in the top five all time in stolen bases. And like you think about that, how often do you get a home run hitter who's also you know extremely fast in stealing bases left, right, and sideways? It's un. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? And she's just to have that kind of speed and that kind of power is just incredible. She's, I think third in all time in doubles right now. Um, so, and you, you can go through, you can look, I mean, she's third in walks, right. Um, runs, I believe she's third now in runs. So she's going to finish all over the place in all these records and just an absolutely unbelievable offensive player. And like I said, we've been talking about all the performance across all of the batters all season, um, and not just you know, and not just batting, but plays in the field, etc. But again, Rachel Lewis is a really special player. This is a record we're going to be tracking. Again, she's right there, and it's kind of a game by game thing. I mean, again, Rachel Lewis hitting multiple home runs in a game is is you know not only within the realm of possibility it's already happened this season so this record could really fall at any time and and it's not it's not like you can pitch around her either with Jordan Rudd right behind her who can also mash the cover off the ball yeah, right as as last game right yeah well that's that's what Michigan did in that overtime game on Friday and then the first game on Sunday like like that Rachel Lewis homer put the cats up 5-4 it was a three run shot Jordan Rudd follows that up with another with a back to back. I think they went back to get back against, um, I guess Michigan State too, or maybe it was Missouri. But it's the second time this year they've gone back to back, and uh, yeah, that's I mean, like the Northwestern bats have been phenomenal. It's been it's been just outstanding, uh, outstanding entertainment to watch this team. 
Yeah, and so and we should say too, like so earlier today, <clears throat> we mentioned it earlier, but Northwestern lost to Notre Dame in a game that was really close right up until the end. Um, I mean, it, it was three. Notre to Dame two. is a I mean, very was, good. Yeah, right. It was it was three to two. Um, one thing that really stood out about this game, though, is um, I really think Coach Drohan was coming in and basically being like, Dvorak and Boyd are going to work this game. And that's significant because Notre Dame is, they came into this game number 25 in the country, but they are scoring runs at a ridiculous clip. They've scored a lot of runs. They've given up a lot of runs. Um, and they haven't played the kind of schedule Northwestern has played. But I think it was basically a situation where, again, Danielle Williams had, you know, plenty, like, could have definitely pitched in this game. And she was in the bullpen at the end, but you could kind of tell the decision was made, look, we're not pulling the trigger on this unless absolutely necessary. And I would guess that there are probably a couple reasons behind that. One, um, we're into the Big Ten schedule. You've got a three-game series on the road with a good Ohio State team right around the corner here this weekend. Um, Notre Dame is not a conference opponent. We're kind of into conference play right now. But also to kind of to be like, look, like we've been talking about this earlier in the season, right? Um, Scuzz mentioned that awesome performance Boyd had against Michigan and the value that finding that number two pitcher, right, and building up the strength of the rotation is going to have when you get into, you know, postseason play. And, you know, th- another way to look at it is, look, if Northwestern, if this had been the postseason Danielle Williams probably pitches at this whole game, right? And But that's not the point. Like, the point is, look, there was a decision made to try to get these guys, and they almost pulled it off. And again, probably these super hot Northwestern bats were just a little bit quiet in this game, and ultimately that made the difference. But again, I think it's, you can already kind of see the pivot to be like, look, at this point, the focus is Big Ten season, and the focus is on all those games that are going to come after Big Ten season. So, I wouldn't read too much into that Notre Dame loss. And, and I, I think, you know, you, you touched on something earlier when, you know, Notre Dame is one of the top 10 scoring offenses in the country this season. I, I think they're like number nine coming in. They're averaging six or seven runs per game. We held them to three without right. our ace on yeah, the true. mound. So, you know. And I, w- and, I, and I would say, right, in the bottom of the sixth, Notre Dame was getting some good wood to the ball and Northwestern with some fielding kind of got out of the inning and only gave up one run, but right. You're absolutely right. Like it's still true. And you can kind of tell, right. That coach Drohan's like, look to your point, right. Top 10 scoring offense in the country. I can roll my ACE out or I can see, you know, I can give a really quality experience to two, you know, my other two top pitchers. And that's what they did. And again, it's a one run loss. Like it's not, it hurts the cats in no real way, right? I mean, the focus is on the rest of the Big Ten schedule at this point. Yeah, twenty-four and five is the record. Pretty, pretty awesome. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable team. The ranking, I think, there depending on where you look, between what six and eight across the different polls. Uh huh. Um, and yeah, there's a two, technically a two-game losing streak, but I mean, it's it's a big series against Ohio State this weekend. A good team. I wouldn't say they're in Michigan's caliber, but it's a quality team. And I think, you know, we're going to have a well rested Danielle Williams for those games. 
And again, there's, you know, by the end of that series, Rachel Lewis might have herself a record. Like, don't bet against it. Yeah, so, so much fun. Um, Also, turning our attention to lacrosse, uh, number three, Northwestern, just went out to Pennsylvania um, and, you know, had a couple just shellackings of both Penn and Penn State, uh, beating Penn 17-9 and then 16-7 over Penn State. I mean, they're just cruising on, you know, firing on all cylinders. I mean, this team is really, really good. They are. Now, neither of these teams uh, were were ranked, but, um, you know, Penn, Penn is a squad that has often been quite good. Um, both games were on the road. So, you know, well, t- t- take, take that for what you will. Um, I think, uh, you know, it, it's the same names you're seeing for Northwestern. Jill Girardi has been just a, a dominant force in the circle on draws. Uh, the defense has been stout holding both those teams under 10 goals. Uh, Gilbert has kept on her uh, just, just you know, attack uh, uh, on the rest of, uh, you know, college lacrosse. And then, I like, she's been, she's been big and she's been involved, but I feel like Erin Koykendall is starting to, uh, to step up. She was the leading scorer against Penn State with five goals. She scored another two against Penn. Um, you may recall her just epic behind the back goal, I think against Maryland last year. Um, so, you know, I, I, someone who was a freshman last year and, and certainly an emerging offensive talent and is starting to come into her own, certainly here in the back half of this season, but uh, big game against Rutgers, number 15 Rutgers at home on Thursday of this week. And then um, a, another road tilt in the big, in the big 10, I think. Uh, uh, no, not, not, yes. not big three, San Diego three State. games. Yeah, San Diego State, Johns Hopkins, and then the big one against Maryland on the 23rd of April. Johns Hopkins, it is a conference game. Let's, let's not forget. Weird, weird. We should mention the Rutgers game is on Big Ten Network. So that's going to be um, – so you can watch that Thursday night at 730 Central, which is pretty awesome. And again, the Maryland one will be down the road too. But yeah, get yourself some lacrosse. I mean, heck, we've talked about um, – you know, for those of us, depending on, we, you know, we were, we were tweeting it out with softball, like trying to decipher. All right. So like between direct TV, between big 10, between ACC network, ESPN plus, like what games do we all exactly get? Right. Um, but it's definitely true that certainly relative to previous seasons, there've been a lot of opportunities to watch softball. Well, now you're going to have an opportunity to watch our awesome lacrosse team. So tune in seven thirty, big 10 network uh, and watch a big time team. So there's some you know news coming out of basketball for uh, the men. Um, you know, not good news. Uh, we found out that Ryan Young is entering the transfer portal. Um, you know, I completely understand why it sucks because you know he's he would be well theoretically the focus of this team moving forward with uh, you know the departures Pete Nance you know had you know, graduating, going to the NBA if potentially, but, uh, you know, Ryan Young, I, I, I get it. You know, like he's been one of the best players on the floor for this team and is just not getting the minutes that he really should be getting. Yeah. This, this really stings the nostrils. If I'm honest, I, I, I struggle to understand it. It, it seems like, um, 
despite his talents, uh, and, and, and maybe he's just not, um, I don't know, enough of a two-way player for Collins to, to be on that starting line. Um, maybe he doesn't have the faith, uh, that it, that things are going to change enough for him next year. Maybe he wants to try to make a tournament run somewhere. I mean, I like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential, you know, reasons that come into play. I think of all the transfers that, that we've experienced, uh, leaving Northwestern basketball, this is, this is probably the one that hurts the most, um, during this Collins era. Uh, I, I'll, I'll add that, um, I kind of felt, I, I know there's a lot of people, you know, pinning this on the decision to keep Collins. I mean, here's the thing, folks, like, this could have been happening regardless of, of Collins staying or, or, or leaving. And, um, I think if, if the pro if the university had, had made the decision to, to make a change at the, at the top, like y- there would still be transfer departures. Um, so like, not that I'm trying to sugarcoat this or suggest that it's not a big deal. It's, it's, it, it's absolutely brutal and takes away one of the things I was most looking forward to watching in, in Northwestern men's basketball next year. But, um, it's, uh, this, this is inevitable, uh, at the end of, at, you know, at the end of an era or, 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 a um, I don't know, what has this been like an eight year run with Collins? Like it, th- this sort of thing was going to happen, uh, regardless. So, um, yeah, I mean, I so I agree. I think, you know, to your point, if we had made a change at a coach, that new coach, I feel like, would at least have an opportunity to come in and sell a potential situation to Ryan Young where his use would rapidly increase, right? I mean, and then whether Young bought that or not would be up to Young. Um, but I, I actually think, like, a, a new coach, pro- like, Young probably stays, but I think there'd be other departures, yeah, right? For like, sure. Oh, for yeah, sure. yeah, a, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. know, and you think about but, Roper, I mean, you think about, you know, Casey Simmons, some like some of the other players that um maybe fit Collins's, you know, style more. Like you know, I like that all that's all I'm saying is like there would have been departures of some nature, not necessarily young. Right. Regardless, I mean, whether an attempt was made or not, I mean, the truth of the matter is Ryan Young would be foolish not to go find himself a better opportunity. I mean, it's just the reality of the situation. Um and there's and I think, you know, talking about stinging the nostrils, I mean, there's that potential downstream situation where Ryan Young finds a good home, whether it be in a, a role where he is his talents are properly utilized at the high major level or whether he gets an opportunity to just go God mode at the mid major level. And in either situation, if the right team finds the right way to utilize his skill set, he may put up big time numbers that are only going to make this look worse in hindsight um one of the other things that i'd add to because i think we're all just bemoaning this and and have been bemoaning it because of the way ryan young was misused or underused etc we've all talked about it strictly from a basketball perspective and looking forward right now this was a bad offensive team with a really bad field goal percentage and on that team field goal percentage the highest individual field goal percentage by far was Ryan Young. Ryan Young. This was also a <laughs> this was also a bad three-point shooting team. And on this bad three-point shooting team, the best three-point shooter by far was Pete Nance. So it's hard not to look and be like, I I don't know where the offense is coming from next year. I just don't I don't know. I mean again, yeah, yeah. we can 
we can cross all this down the road. You know, let's, you know, we probably all need to put hoops aside for a while, but yeah, it don't look, it don't look good right now. We can't, we can't forget players come players go. We're, we're losing some players. We'll bring in some players like the transfer portal. giveth, the transfer portal taketh. Let's, you know, wait and see how this off season shakes out before we continue to bury um, the corpse of this Chris Collins era. Which I think I, I don't know, Sammy. <laughs> like, like this cake, yeah. the twenty twenty two twenty three men's basketball cake. Like, it's I not mean, baked yet. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I'm, I'm pretty sure it ain't good. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't think. Uh, I don't think any high profile college football. I mean, college basketball writers are going to be stepping out of the out of the wings to call attorney birth for next year's team. I'm just saying, um, but. <laughs> But regardless, I mean, when it comes to Young, all the best to him. Go get yours. Uh, I think we all would want nothing more than to just see him have a big time season. Um, and yeah, it might sting the nostrils from a Northwestern perspective, but he's a great guy, a great player who gave a hundred and ten percent for Northwestern every time he was out there. Um, let's go see him. Let's go see him have some success now. Well, well, and it's probably it's important to note too. And this is this is probably the. This is the optimism I have. I have. I have a little bit more stomach for right now. Is like we've seen guys put their name in the hat and pull it back. Um, Blake Washington, um, uh, Garrett Hollis, like Young could decide to stay. You know, sure, um, absolutely. Who who knows? Maybe Doug Eater decides he wants to bring his talents <laughs> from New Jersey <laughs> to Evanston, and Ryan Young's like, sign me up for some stash. Like that could happen. Sure, we can all dare to dream. <laughs> and yeah, there's there's other transfer news to mention on the football side. I mean, this is kind of the only news coming out of football. Uh, you know, there's been very, very little uh, news coming out of spring practice, which I think is absolutely by design. But, um, you know, we got word that Jalen Pate is uh, transferring from Wyoming. He's a local kid. He went to Lane Tech High School in, in Chicago on, in the north side. Um and, you know, went out to Wyoming, coming back here with three years of eligibility as a grad transfer. Good for and, him. And in, and intends to use them all, yes. uh, as he as he commented on Twitter, which is fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, it's we talked about this on Twitter and it's an interesting situation because you can look and, you know, if you want to go glass half empty, you can be like, look, this was a guy who did not have Wyoming was effectively his biggest offer coming out of college. And then he went to Wyoming and the stats really aren't there. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is he basically went to Wyoming and then really hasn't played. Um, it's And not because he couldn't. It's just like this is this bizarre time period that college athletics is in right now. He was class of 2019. He goes to Wyoming in red shirts his freshman year and doesn't play. And then the year after that's the COVID year. So you're talking – how much playing time was he going to get as a redshirt freshman at Wyoming anyway? And then they only play six games and that's the end of their season. And then the next season after that was last season. So last seasons where pretty much all of his career stats have come from. They're not amazing, but you're talking a guy who's played one year and change of football. And now he's going to play three. So it's like, I mean, the ultimate bottom line is we don't really know. I mean, he's, you know, Northwestern clearly sees something that they like in him. Marty Long sees something that he likes in him. And again, like you said, he's a local kid and, and that's great. But I mean, it's just like 
we we couldn't know less. I mean, it truly it's it's wild because he's graduated. He has a degree from the University of Wyoming, and it feels like he hasn't even played college football yet. And that's that you know it's that wild era. It's that COVID stretch that we're in right now. Um, where he's going to have a full three years to be a student and a college football player at Northwestern. So that's great. I mean, let's let's see what we've got here. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely cool. It's exciting. Welcome, um, as, as well as all the other transfers who come in. Um, you know, kind of getting into that quiet football period right now. Uh, spring practices, if it's not over, it's definitely winding down. Um, so everyone's going to finish up spring quarter. And, you know, keep hitting the hitting the gym, hitting the weight room. And, you know, we'll be revisiting football later on this uh, early part of the summer. Uh, anything else to mention before we get out of here? The one other thing I wanted to mention that we didn't touch on when we touched on when we talked about softball is we've mentioned this a couple times and we've kind of been circling around this. But the as it stands now, and we don't want to put the cart before the horse – the rapidly increasingly excellent chances that Northwestern is going to host a super regional, that there's going to be an Evanston super regional for softball. And we mentioned this before, but it's like this absolute softball party that just goes for this long period of time. And it's been, I think the mid aughts since Northwestern hosted a super regional and how special and awesome super regionals are. It's hysterical. I actually like looked, I was looking at the, the timetable of a super regional and like a regional and then a super regional and being like, when's Dillo Day? Is there like an overlap here? <laughs> and I think they miss each other by like a week. But I was envisioning this just hilarious situation where Dillo Day coincided with a super regional and the absolute ridiculousness that might ensue in that kind of crossover situation. But hey, I'm just saying you could always push Dillo Day back a week or two just for the raw fun of it. But again, it's it just goes to show that there's a lot of fun of all kinds that can be had at Northwestern when it starts to warm up in the spring. Uh, Dillo Day is one version. Um, and then another version is this potential super regional. So again, uh, car before the horse a little bit, but Northwestern's really positioned themselves well for that kind of scenario. So let's let's see them keep pushing toward that. Um, and I, I will also mention that... Um... Baseball has not been the tire fire that we thought it was going to be going into the season. They're they're 500 right now uh, and undefeated at home. So you know something that we're going to keep our eye on a little bit as we as we get going. I, I think going into this season, you know the general consensus was this team is going to be really really bad, and they're not really really bad, which is good. I mean, like I said, 500 team that that's solid. You know when you're talking about. You know, as many games as you play in baseball. So, yeah, some, something we'll uh, kind of keep our eye on as, as we move forward into the spring. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, And you can always email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeCombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.